Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. We are uh, glad to have you here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak. And if it's your very first time here, we just want to welcome you. And uh, there's a lot going on this weekend. Right now, we have about 75 of our people down in Mexico helping to establish this church right now. And so we're excited about that. We definitely want to be praying for them this morning. I'm, I think they're about wrapping up now, be coming back the long, the long trip back. But uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching in just a minute. And so inside of your program is a message note sheet. If you're, you're new here, you may not know that. And I'm going to pull that out, definitely help you follow along. And so if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for, for what you're doing in our lives. And we're so thankful to be part of your movement. Lord, we're, our, our message is we want to uh, swing those gates uh, wide open and, and announce the coming of your salvation. And so thank you for this team that's down in Mexico right now doing exactly that, helping to take the message of Jesus to a community that has no uh, messenger there. And so we pray for them that as they wrap up the ministry, we pray for not only them, we pray for this church that's been established. We pray for the believers there that the name of Jesus would be going out and transforming lives and many would be coming to him there. Uh, we pray, God, as our, our team comes back this afternoon, we just pray help them get through the border safely and all the trip back and uh, bring them back to us safely. And then, God, we pray for ourselves as we gather around your word now and, and kind of talk about this power to change, this power of the new covenant, what it means to be a follower, the, the power that's released in our lives, and what it means to tap into that power, how that happens. We pray that, that you will uh, make it clear from your word how exactly how this works and that we would come out different people as a result. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are uh, continuing this series that we've been in now for the last week, uh, a couple weeks, called The Power to Change. And so if you're, if you're new, let me set it up just real quickly. Uh, this is a series that's based on a letter from a man named the Apostle Paul. It's written to a church that he started about five years before in southern Greece. And so it's, it's a seaport a city, major international city, very entrepreneurial, uh, a lot of uh, excitement going on there. The name of the city is Corinth. In fact, that city is still there today. And, and so, uh, so, so what's going on is in the last couple of weeks, Paul has been talking to us about, about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and how it changes everything, how it's initiated this whole new uh, era of human history and how through the death of Christ we've entered into a new relationship, what he calls a, a new covenant with God. And, and like, like any covenant, like a covenant of marriage, for example, there's certain promises or certain terms or certain agreements that we enter into covenant through the death of Christ. And so we've been studying the last couple of weeks kind of the, the marks of this new covenant. And what we've learned is that, that when we enter into covenant with God through the death and resurrection of Christ, that there's three or four gifts that we receive. And so uh, there on your note sheet, you have this uh, diagram. It's up here as well. That we've, let's just do kind of a quick review. They said that when we enter into covenant with Jesus, Jeremiah 31 says that, that there was three or four gifts that we received. First of all, we get the gift of forgiveness, that all crimes against the king will be forgiven. In Jeremiah, it says that, that your sins will be remembered no more. Uh, so the gift of total amnesty. Uh, secondly, uh, Jeremiah talked about knowledge. No man will say to his neighbor, you have to know the Lord because they'll all know him. So we're not talking just about kind of a cerebral or mental knowledge, although it takes in that. We're talking about a deep, personal, uh, firsthand, experiential knowledge of God. And then the third thing was power. 
And Jeremiah said, no longer will I just write my law on tablets of stone, but I will write them on human hearts. I'll change my people from the inside out so they have a hunger and a passion to seek me, love God, love others. And then, and then this was all made possible because this new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit, that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, God is able to release his spirit into our lives because we've been forgiven now. And so he's able to come and reside in us. And, and he is the one who unleashes his power and, 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 and communicates the reality of the covenant to us. And so that's where we've been uh, the last couple of weeks. Well, now today we're moving on in this journey. And Paul wants to talk to us about how we enter into covenant. Like how is it, let's say someone's outside a covenant here. Uh, there was once in your life, if you're a Christ follower, that you didn't know Christ, you'd not come into covenant. How does that happen? How does a person move from outside a covenant into covenant? What does God need to do supernaturally? What do we need to do in response to what God is doing in our lives? And so uh, today we're gonna explore that. And there on your note sheet, there's a section that's called The Power of Conversion, The New Creation. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're picking it up at 2 Corinthians 4, going through verses 1 through 6. But before we jump in, I want to remind you where we left off last week. You remember this, that what Paul said last week is that, is that he was comparing the old covenant that God entered into with Israel at Mount Sinai with the new covenant that he enters into with us through, through Christ. And he said that, that, um, he said that when a, before a person comes to Christ, before a person comes to faith, that there's actually like a spiritual veil that's over our eyes. Remember that? That we, we really can't see who Jesus is. And, and that for, for a person to come to Christ, that veil has to be taken away. And remember the analogy he uses is he said when Moses came down from receiving the first covenant at Mount Sinai, that his face was glowing because he absorbed the glory of God. But the people were so afraid and so kind of freaked out uh, that, that he actually put a veil over his face to protect them so that they wouldn't have to look at the glory and be so afraid. And so the cool thing was they weren't afraid. The bad thing was is they couldn't see the glory of God that's being reflected in the face of Moses. And so he says, when, when a person turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away and we're able to see who Jesus is and we, we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so this concept of veil, this analogy of veil, that before we come to Jesus, there's a veil in front of our eyes. When we come to God, God uh, Christ, God supernaturally removes the veil. That's gonna play a big part in our passage today. It's gonna continue on that theme. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll go through verses uh, 1 through 6. And so in verse 1, uh, Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. So in chapter 3, Paul has been saying Moses received the ministry of the new covenant, uh, but Paul, as a minister of the new covenant, has received this new ministry to share this new message. And he says, so, so, so through God's mercy, we have this ministry, uh, proclamation of covenant. And, uh, and remember that, that uh, some of you will know this, but, but some of you are brand new at this. Uh, before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was a violent oppressor of the early church. He, he was persecuted Christians, uh, beat them, throw them in jail, torture them, uh, uh, cause them to be put to death. And so when, when Jesus revealed himself, the veil was taken away in Paul's life, like he experienced this removal of the veil, that, that uh, God chose him not only to save him, but also to make him a messenger of this new covenant. And that's what Paul's talking about, this mercy of God in his life. And so he says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, 
uh, we don't lose heart. We don't get discouraged. We've been seeing in 2 Corinthians that Paul is often persecuted as an apostle. He pays a huge price for being the messenger of the covenant. But he says because of the amazing uh, truth of the covenant, we don't, we don't lose heart. <clears throat> so verse 2, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. So remember, we've been talking about this, is that in Corinth, there is this movement. Uh, there's some false teachers that have come to, to town. And what they're saying is Paul can't be trusted. He's not a man of integrity. Uh, he, he changes the message of Jesus. He compromises it so that he'll get more converts. You really can't trust him. He has ulterior motives. That's the background. And so now Paul is launching into a defense of that. And he says in verse 2, uh, he says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We're not doing that. We do not use deception. We don't distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, just sharing the message of Jesus plainly, uh, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So he says, we're, we're not doing that. We're just, we're just clearly sharing the message of Jesus. It's out there for anyone to see and to weigh with their conscience who we are and our integrity. And then in verse three, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, and so here's this concept of veil that we've been talking about. Before we come to Christ, there's this veil. He says, you know what? I, I get it, that we're sharing the message of Jesus and not everyone is responding. But he says it's not because we're not being clear, it's because this veil is over their eyes. And so he says, uh, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are what? Perishing, right? They're, they're lost, they, they can't see it. And he says, the, the God of this age, now who would that be, the God of this age? Yes, Satan, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So notice this analogy, the veil so you can't see, being blinded so you can't see. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so we talked about this last week, that before we come to Christ, there is this veil in front of our eyes. There is this blindness that happens that we're not really able to see who Jesus is. And, and some of you will remember this. If you became a Christian at a very young age, you may not remember this, but it would, if you became a Christian later in life, you remember this. When you came to Christ, it was like this veil was taken away, right? It's like all of a sudden, like, who's, you see who Jesus is, and it's so amazing, this message of the gospel, that in spite of our rebellion, that God has loved us and sent his son to take the sentence for our rebellion, and, and that there's a way to come home and be forgiven and to move in this new covenant reality, this amazing grace of, it's not based on our performance, it's based on what Jesus did, and this amazing story, there's a way to come home and to know God and to enter into a relationship, become a, a son and daughter of God and to live with him forever. It's so amazing. We just can't wait to tell our family. We can't wait to tell our friends. And so we're so excited because we think they've never heard this before, right? They, because if they'd heard it, man, they would have told me, right? So, so you go to them, you say, I've this incredible news. I'm going to share the message of Jesus with you and how he's changed my life. And all of a sudden they look back at you with a blank stare, right? And it's like, like, it just is like going over their eyes. And Paul says, that's because there's a veil. They can't see it. There's a blindness there. That when we rebelled against our creator at the very beginning, like a spiritual veil fell upon the race. A blindness fell upon the human race. That's why we can't see who, who God is without divine intervention, without a supernatural work of God in our life that removes that veil. So Paul says, the problem is not that we're not clear, but that there's a veil that's over the human race. And then in verse 5, he says, for we do not preach ourselves. And, of course, that's the accusation. Paul, you're just building up your own name and reputation. He says, we do not preach ourselves, 
but we preach Jesus Christ as what? Lord. Lord. So underline that. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. And so just in verse 4, he had talked about the gospel. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the what? Light of the, verse 4. Let's try that again. Take, (laughs) right, uh, cut, take two. Here you go. Uh, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, okay? And we can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so he says, just like back in Israel, uh, Israel couldn't see the, the glory of God in the face of Moses because of the veil. He says, what's happening now is that people can't see the, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, who's the image of God, the, the visible image of the invisible God, as, as Paul writes in Colossians. Uh, they can't see who Jesus is because of this veil that's there. And so he says in verse 5, he says uh, that, that that's the gospel. Uh, verse, verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. So verse 4, he says they can't see the light of the gospel. And then what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're going to come back to that later. It's very important. And he says, uh, and we preach ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so his opponents were saying, Paul, you're just trying to be the big shot. You, you, you're trying to kind of make yourself look big. And he says, no, no, we're, we're just servants around here. That we've been called to lead you, but our job as leaders is really to serve you for Jesus' sake. So that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. And then verse 6, he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now what does that sound like? What, what book of the Bible? Yeah, Genesis, right? On the first day of creation, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so Paul says that same God who supernaturally spoke the world into existence and said, let there be light and turn the darkness into light in creation. He says that same God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so there used to be a veil in our life but God has supernaturally spoke into our lives, spoke it. Just like in creation, it was originally dark. He spoke light into being. So God has supernaturally removed the veil, spoken light into our life. The light's God on, and we can see who Jesus is, and he's, he's reflecting he's the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, and so, so that's the passage. Uh, Paul is beginning to uh, respond to some of these criticisms that, that he is changing the message. He can't be trusted, lack of integrity. He's not being clear. He says, no, 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 uh, that's not the case. He said, what's going on is we're being clear, but the, the problem is there's this veil that's over the human race, and, and he says that's only removed when someone comes to Christ. And so he's just kind of laying out uh, some defense. But in the process, he's telling us two really important truths about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a really revolutionary, so important for us to understand what it means to be in covenant with God. Okay, and so there in your note sheet, I want to unpack these two truths today, and then we're going to come back and talk about how they apply to our life. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the New Covenant, Two Core Concepts. And so, so what I want to talk about is kind of two basic things that we need to understand what it means to be in covenant in relationship with God. And here's the first one. The first one goes like this, that salvation is supernatural, Okay that this whole relationship that we've entered into God, this new covenant relationship, that salvation is supernatural. 
Now, let me say this, that when we talk often in Christian circle about salvation, we often talk about past tense. Like, it's not uncommon for you to meet someone, they find out you're a Christian, and they may often ask you this question, when were you saved, right? So when were you saved? And what we mean by that is, when did you enter into covenant? When did you enter into this new relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And it's a great question, nothing wrong with that question, but we often think of it as past tense. We think of salvation as past tense. When were you saved? Something that happened in the past, all right? But here's what you find out in the New Testament, that if you read the New Testament, that what it says is salvation is, is both, it's, it's past tense, it's present tense. There's many passages that say that we are being saved, and then it's also future tense. It talks about we will be saved, okay? So salvation is a rescue mission project that begins when we come to Christ, then it happens as we're transformed and be changed like Christ, and then it's finished off when Jesus comes back. You follow with me? And so, so what, what we need to understand is that, that salvation, this whole process, is a supernatural process from beginning to end. That's what I want you to catch. That your salvation process is supernatural from beginning to end. Now, of course, it's supernatural to begin with. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. Let's look at a couple of passages. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. Um, we're just looking at 2 Corinthians 4. So let's go back and let's, let's see what we learned last week. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul's talking about this veil that's removed when we come to Christ. And in verse 16, he says, When anyone turns to the who? The Lord, see that, verse 16? Okay, take two, verse 16. <laughs> but when anyone turns to the Lord, remember that word, Lord, it's gonna be important, important later on. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so he says that when anyone turns to the Lord, this supernaturally, this veil that's been over eyes is removed, it's taken away. Now, who removes it? Well, the Holy Spirit removes it supernaturally. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so what he's saying is that, that this veil that's over our eyes, when we turn to the Lord, it's supernaturally, the Spirit removes this veil, and we can see who Jesus is. And this is what he means then in chapter 4, verse 4. He says that uh, the God of this age has what? He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so, so how do you come to Christ? Well, someone's got to heal your eyes, Right? And, and, and so God has to supernaturally open your eyes. And then look at verse 6. Um, for God who said, light shine out, light, let light shine out of darkness, in other words, creation of it, he made his light to shine in our hearts. So what Paul wants us to understand is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, it is a supernatural event. So I want you to catch this. If you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus your life is a miracle, okay? Are, are you with me? That, that you didn't come to Jesus on your own. It wasn't like one day you just figured, you know what, I just got to say I need Jesus in my life. No, no, it's like what happened is that God came after you. Uh, that God came, God, God chose you out, he came after you, and he said, I'm gonna reveal and take the veil away from this person. I'm gonna reveal who my son is. I'm gonna reveal the path of salvation. And so salvation starts with a supernatural experience. In fact, Paul says it's in a creation event. 
just like there was a creation event that started the world, let there be light, that for a person to come to Christ, it's a creation event. It's a new creation. There was an old creation that fell away from God. When we are restored to back to God, there is a new creation. And so when Jesus comes back, all things will be made new, but Jesus has stepped into time and space, and we have started the new creation right here, right now, and our lives by, by being made to become alive in Christ. And so that's why on your note sheet, in fact, in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul will say. There on your note sheet, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new, it's a miracle. And so our salvation starts with a supernatural work of God in our life. No one comes to Christ on our own, okay? It's supernatural. But here's what I want you to catch. It's not just supernatural in the way it starts. That our salvation is a supernatural process all the way through. That, that the way we grow, the way we develop, the way we change, this is supernatural from beginning to end. So for example, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way. And this is a verse a lot of you will know, but it's just such an important verse. It says, he who began a good work in you. Now, who is that? Like God, Christ, different, spelled out differently in different passages. He who began a good work in you. So God is the one who began it, right? We just said that. But it says, he who began it, he will what? He will carry it to completion. So when you gave your life to Jesus, he became the construction manager over your life, right? He became the project manager, that it's his job now to create and transform you like we talked about last weekend. And so, so this process is ongoing. God not just start, he doesn't just start it, he continues it. And so this is so important that when you came to Jesus, it's not like Jesus said, okay, now you're saved. Here's a Bible. Find a church. You're on your own. I'll see you in 30 years. Right? <laughs> that, that, no, no, that he came to live inside of you to manage and to lead your change process. So that when we step into relationship with Jesus, we step into a supernatural Holy Spirit zone, that we are now living a supernatural life. Now, you may be experiencing that right, maybe not. We'll talk about why later, but this is the reality of your relationship. You, you live in a supernatural zone. Now, Paul makes this even more clear in the next passage. This is in Philippians 2, the very next chapter. He says, my dear friends, uh, you've always obeyed God when I was with you. And so the church of Philippi was one of the best churches in the New Testament, very obedient church. And he says, it's even more important that you obey now when I'm away from you. So he's writing from Rome. Uh, this is in the New Century version, by the way, just because it's so clear. But he says, this is interesting what he says next. So keep on what? Keep on working to complete your what? Salvation. salvation. So you see, salvation is not just a pastime thing. It's an ongoing process. Keep on working. Now, what does he mean? He's not saying work in order to earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying that. What he's saying is that this process has a part for us to play. He says that, there's, there's a, that in this supernatural change process, like we talked about last week, there's a part for us to play. Like we don't grow ourselves, but we cooperate with God in the process. We, we partner with him. And so he says, so continue, keep on working on your, your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take this seriously. Why? Because God is what? Working in you. You see that? God is what? He's working in you. In you. 
once you step into the covenant zone, you begin to live a supernatural life. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit is active in your life, working in your life to bring salvation at ever deeper levels. Now, well, what does he do when he's working in us? Well, let's look what he says. God is working in you to help you do two things, to want to do and to be able to do what pleases him, okay? So he's, uh, he's doing two things. Number one, he's giving us the desire to change, the want to do. And, and, then, and then the next he gives us the power to change, right? The, the ability to do. So you know what this is like, right? You're, you're in a message, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're kind of whatever, and all of a sudden you, there's a hunger in your life. There's a new, I, I think I really want to serve somewhere. I, I, I really want to grow in my giving. God, I want a deeper relationship. The, God, the Holy Spirit begins generating desire inside of us. And, and then he begins giving us power to act on that desire. And that's why our job is simply to listen to what he's putting in our heart and then to respond and follow. And so he says, we're able to do what pleases him. Look how the next, uh, in the next verse, Philippians 2.13, same verse, but in New Living Translation, says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the, and the what? The power to do what pleases him. Okay, so the moment you came to Jesus, uh, first of all, you only came through an act of a supernatural work of God in your life. And so the Bible describes this work in different ways. Like, like here, Paul talks about the removal of the veil. He talks about let there be light. Uh, Jesus talked about being born again. In Ephesians, it talks about God made us alive. Uh, uh, what else? Paul talks about uh, regeneration. And so the Bible uses uh, lots of different words and metaphors to describe this, but it's all describing this supernatural act of God where we are brought to Christ, our eyes are open, and we're able to start this process. And once we step into this new relationship, it is a supernatural process from that point on. It's an ongoing process. God is living inside of you to lead, to guide, to move, to change, to empower. And this is the life. This is what it means to be in covenant with Jesus. Does this make sense? You following me? This is, defines what it means to be a follower. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means someone who has entered into covenant with Jesus that has the living God inside of them, leading, moving, guiding, transforming, changing, giving us the, the power and the ability to be the people we are created to be. That's by definition what it means to be in covenant. Now, number two. The second principle that flows out of this, it helps us understand what does it mean to be in covenant with, with God through Christ, is that Jesus is Lord. Now, now I know we're, we're a Christian group here, right, for the most part, and, and so uh, we, we understand this. This is like common phraseology, like Jesus is Lord. But the tragedy is in Christian circles, we have often missed what this really means. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. So far as we've talked about covenant, we've talked about kind of God's side of this covenant. Like, What does it mean to enter into covenant with God? We've said, well, it means to enter into a relationship where you receive total amnesty, new relationship, power to change, the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's how we've defined it. Okay, and that's absolutely right. That's what God brings to the table, so to speak. Uh, but in a covenant, there's two parties, aren't there? In a covenant, there's two sides. And so what do we bring to the table? What does God require of us? 
Well, what the Bible says is that God requires two things of us. They're the flip side of the same coin, okay? And, and you might want to write these down. He requires faith and he requires repentance, okay? Those kind of flip sides of the two coins. Faith is like turning to God in trust. Uh, repentance is turning away from the dark side. And so the way that the Bible describes this process of coming into covenant is that Jesus is Lord. Now, we don't use the terminology a lot in our culture of lordship, do we? We don't, like you don't turn on the news and, you know, President Obama is the Lord of the United States. Like you don't hear that kind of language. You got a, we got a new Lord uh, that's been elected, you know, in part. Now, well, maybe in England, okay, but, uh, but we don't really use that kind of language. This is, and so, so for us, it becomes a very religious term that Jesus is Lord, and we don't even stop and think what that means, but let's unpack that. In the Roman Empire, at the time this was written, there was one Lord of the Roman Empire. Who was that? Caesar, Caesar right? And so if you're in the Roman Empire from time to time, you would have to go to a priest. Uh, Caesar was considered a god. And you would have to go to the priest, and you would have to bow the knee before the statue of Caesar. And you would burn incense to Caesar and then you would say these words. You would say, Caesar is Lord. Exactly. Then in other words, Caesar is the ultimate authority in my life. I bow the knee to Caesar. Caesar is Lord. He's the ultimate ruler. In a Jewish context, for the Jews, they'd say, no, that's not really true because, yeah, we understand Caesar's like Lord here, but there's really an ultimate Lord, right? And there's only one Lord. He's the Lord God Almighty. And so if you're a Jewish person, when you, when you talk about the Lord, you're talking about God. If you're in a Roman culture, you're talking about Caesar. And, and into the midst of this culture, this movement of Jesus comes up with this preposterous claim that Jesus of Nazareth is actually the Lord. That, that, that Caesar isn't Lord, that Jesus is Lord. And so the claim was that this, this Jewish peasant from the backwaters of third kind of world country of the Roman Empire who was arrested and then put to death uh, in a Roman court for the crime of treason and hung on a Roman uh, cross as, as a symbol of Rome's power and his lack of power, that this person is actually the Lord of heaven and earth uh, in disguise, that he's come to die to pay the price for our treason as a race, and that he rose from the dead to prove that he had conquered sin and death. He'd risen again to sit at the right hand of God as God's Messiah, and that he is now Lord over all of cosmos, all of creation, which is why Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go in my name and make disciples, right? And so that's the claim. The claim is that there is a new Lord in town, right? right? That, that's the claim. There is a new ruler. And so stop and think with me. When Jesus came, uh, like if I were to ask you, like what is the gospel? Like what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is the gospel I think for most of us, we'd say that Jesus died for our sins so we could be forgiven. And there's nothing wrong with that in as far as it goes. It's true, but the gospel is a much bigger story. There's a reason why the first four books of the New Testament are called what? 
Gospels because they are the story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes to announce the gospel, the good news, what does he say? In fact, if you were to check that in Mark chapter one, in Matthew chapter four, this is how the gospel writers describe the coming of Jesus and his message. This is how they summarize his whole message. And here's what he says. When he bursts on the scene, he said, here's the message of Jesus. Here's the gospel. The gospel, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what's he saying? He's saying, you are a rebel race. You are a race who's rebelled against its creator. And my father has sent me back to take over the kingdom. And he's made me the king. And I am coming to restore all of creation to its intended order. And I am announcing my kingdom. And so I'm, I'm making this offer, and the offer is amnesty, that through my death and resurrection, I will take this sentence for your crime of treason. And, and in exchange for that, that I will give you a new relationship with God. All, all crimes against the king will be forgiven. You'll receive forgiveness. You'll receive new relationship with God. You'll receive the power to change, become the person you're meant to be. You'll be filled with my spirit. And that's the offer. But here's what I require of you. The require of you is that you repent because there's a new king in town. Do you see? You, are you following this? This is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. And that is why in Paul says he summarizes the gospel in verse five. Look at chapter, five, uh, chapter four and verse five. Remember what he said in verse four? He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the what? The gospel. And then he goes on in verse five. He says, for we do not preach ourselves. That's not our message. We preach Jesus as Lord. See, this was the message of the early church. The message of the early church was not just invitation. Hey, Christ has come and got a wonderful plan for your life and you can enter into God and you can have forgiveness and relationship. That's not just the whole, the whole message. The message is, that Christ has come, the king has come. It, the gospel is not just invitation, the gospel is command, you see? The king has come, repent, bow the knee. You can either bow the knee now and receive his offer, or you can bow the knee when he comes back, but trust me, you're gonna bow the knee, you see? You see, the king has come, right? And so, so the gospel is Jesus is Lord. Right? And, and how do you respond to that? You can either respond in repentance and accept his offer of amnesty, or you can be destroyed. But that's the offer. That's the gospel. The king has come. And so how do we enter into kingdom? How do we enter into covenant? We enter into covenant when we bow the knee to our true king. And that's how we enter the, the kingdom. You see? Now, and so once you understand this, then you see it in the New Testament. For example, a very famous passage that we often use when we're sharing Christ with someone, and some of you are probably familiar with it, in Romans chapter 10, uh, look what it says now that we understand kind of context. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. See, this was the first creed of the early believers. What does it mean to be a, a believer? It means that you've you believe that Jesus is Lord and you've come under his leadership in your life. That's what it means to enter into covenant. Do you realize that in the early church, the reason that many, many hundreds and thousands of Christ followers went to their death 
is because they refused to bow the knee, burn incense, and say Caesar is Lord. They said, no, no, no. No, for us, Caesar isn't Lord. For us, Jesus is Lord. And so they said, well, if you don't say Caesar is Lord and burn the incense, we will kill you. And they said, that's fine because we want to be on the winning side. Right? So, so you win now, but I'm going to win in the long run. You see? So he says, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you've come under his leadership, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So notice that. We're gonna, it's, it's faith and repentance. It's, it's we're believing in Christ, and we're coming under lordship, repentance. Um, th- then you will be saved. See, that, 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 that's the faith and repentance. Now, so, so uh, let's put these two things together then. What does it mean to be in covenant? It means that we've had our eyes open, supernatural uh, uh, intervention of God in our life. We've entered into a relationship. It means that we've come under the leadership of lordship. So salvation is supernatural. Jesus Lord, that's what it means to be in covenant. Now, you can see this in Paul's teaching. For example, there on your note sheet, there's a great passage from Acts 26. Paul is standing before, the, uh, the, the, uh, before a king named Agrippa. He's explaining to him why he became a follower of Jesus. He's telling him about his experience where he met Jesus on the, the road to Damascus and, and his whole vision of Jesus changed. See, before Paul came to Christ, he thought Jesus was the ultimate fraud. Okay? He, he, he had the veil over his Paul had grown up as a Jew. He knew the Jewish scriptures, but he just couldn't see it. He, he thought Jesus was a fraud, and so he needed to do everything he could to destroy this movement. When he meets Jesus, the veil comes off. And so he's sharing that story that, of how he came to realize who Jesus is. He's Lord. And he says, uh, this is what Jesus said to him. He said, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. So Jesus is going to send him out with this message that Jesus is Lord. Jesus realizes it's not going to be a popular message and there's going to be danger. He says, so I will rescue from your own people, the Jewish people, and from the Gentiles. I'm sending them to you. Now note the supernatural. I'm sending them, you to them to what? Let's say it again. To what? To open their eyes. There's the supernatural, see? And, and he says, um, and to turn them from what? From darkness to light, and then from the power of Satan to God. So you see what's going on here? That, that I, you're going to be my, my tool, and through you, I'm going to share the message, and I'm going to bring, I'm going to lift veils. I'm going to lift veils and turn on lights in people's lives. And he says, so that they may receive what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so through the supernatural work of God, we enter into covenant. We receive the gift of amnesty. And he goes on, and he says, and so that they might receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified or made right with me, uh, and notice it's by what? By faith, right? See that? It's by faith. It's through, through our faith in Christ, we enter into covenant. But then he goes on, and he's going to talk about the repentance side. And he says, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Uh, first to those in Damascus, because that's where he met Christ. And then to those in Jerusalem. And then to all of Judea, which was the region around Jerusalem. And then to Gentiles also, I preached. Now here's his message. I preached that they should what? Repent. Repent. Remember what Jesus said? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, and they should turn to God, and then they should prove their repentance by their what? Deeds. So so how do you know if Jesus is Lord? You know it when our lives change, you see? 
You don't know it because we say it. You know it when we prove it by our choices and by our actions. Does that make sense? Like if someone says Jesus is Lord, then they should be living as by his teaching. And if they say Jesus is Lord, in other words, I've repented, but there's no evidence of that obedience in their life, then they're just fooling themselves. It's not really true. And so we, we come to God through the supernatural work of God. We enter into covenant, but we, as we come in, our part is to bow the knee to Jesus, that he is Lord. And through his death and resurrection, this is all made possible, and we surrender to him. And so we enter into the kingdom by submitting to the king. Does this make sense? Okay, now, this is so important we catch this because often in Christian circles, we have truncated this message and we have painted the message that to become a Christian or to enter into the covenant is just to receive the gifts but not to bow the knee. And so often in Christian circles, we've come up with this strange idea that we'll say things like, well, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I've not accepted him as my Lord, as if he's two different people right? I like the Savior Jesus. You know, not so much the Lord Jesus. Listen, he's one guy. He's one person. He is the Lord. That's his job description. If you're going to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, it's because you say Jesus is Lord and you bow the knee. And that's why in the early church when people were baptized, this was the first creed, that Jesus is Lord. All right, so, so now we understand, here's what it means to enter into covenant, the supernatural relationship. Here's what it means. It means that Jesus is Lord. We've come under his lordship. Now let's get practical and talk about our lives. So I have two questions there for you. The first question is, and I don't really mean this as so much a, a challenge. It definitely will be, but, but you're going to say, I'm going I'm to mean it as an invitation. And so here we go. The first question is, are you living a supernatural life? So you, if you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus, my first question is, are you living a supernatural life? Because what we've seen today is that this is what we're designed to, to do. Like, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, that through his work supernaturally in our life, we've come into relationship, and then we, the Spirit has come in our lives. He, he's going to move us. He's going to shape us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to give us the desire to change. He's going to give us the power to change. That by definition, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be living a supernatural life. And so the question I have for you is, are you living a supernatural life? And so let me ask some other questions. Well, let's start with your passion. Is your passion for God growing? Like we know the number one thing that God cares about is our love for him, right? That we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, so is your passion for Christ growing? Like do you love Christ? Are you more passionate about the things of God that, than you were a year ago? Is that happening? Are you growing in your passion? You, you know, one of the things that kind of irritates, ticks me off the most is when a brand new Christian who is so excited about Jesus meets an older Christian who's no longer excited about Jesus, and the older Christian tries to discourage the younger Christian and say, well, that's really cool, you're going through it, but it's kind of a phase. We've all, been going, we've all gone through that, but you'll outgrow that. Like, like have, you, have you heard this? Like, I mean, this happens. This happens. I, I get emails from people. People come to Christ here at Rocky Peak, and they're so excited about Jesus, and they're so excited about growing. And, and they'll, they'll email and say, yeah, I don't know if there's something wrong with me. I just have this hunger for the Word, and I want to grow, and I want to pray, and I want to share everything. But, but people in my life group, a couple of people told me that, well, that's a phase we all went through that, and it won't last. 
I just want to take some people out and knock them upside the head, <laughs> right? In, in the name of Christ, obviously, in the name of, of Jesus, obviously. But you just want to knock them out. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That here's this person who's passionate about Jesus and growing and changing, and because your life is so pathetic, right? Because your passion is so low, and because your life is so unsupernatural, you feel an obligation to pull them down to your level so you feel better about yourself. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? What should be happening is that you should be saying, I remember when it was like that for me, and I wish it was like that again, and I'm going back to Jesus, right? See, what, what should be happening is we should be going on our face before God and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I've taken your salvation for granted. I've lived my life as if you don't exist. The values of this world have permeated my life. I've forgotten the joy of my salvation. I need it back, God. Would you have mercy on me? I'm so lukewarm. I think I'm rich. I think I've, I've got it together. I'm so screwed up. This brand new believer gets it better than I do. Jesus, would you have mercy on me and would you wake me up? So are you growing in your passion for God? Just to be clear here, I'm not saying that every day you wake up, woo! (laughs) Good morning, Jesus! You know, I'm not, I'm floating in the spirit here. I'm not saying that. I am just saying, are you growing? Are you changing? Man, do you have more patience than you did a year ago? Do you have less anger in your life? Do you have more joy, more peace? Do you have more self-control, the, the fruit of the Spirit? Is that happening in your life? Do you have a hunger for God and his word? Do you want to share Christ with those who don't know him? Are you growing in your generosity? I'm not talking about anything off the charts. I'm just saying, are you growing? Or are you changing? You know, I was talking with a woman in the parking lot this week. She's just saying, Mike, thanks for the message last week. I mean, God has just used it in my life. She said, I, I used to come to this year, church years ago. I just didn't know much about the Holy Spirit, though. Never heard much about that. And this is, is radically changing my, my life. And she said, you know, I, said, I don't have it all together. It's not like I'm perfect, but I, man, I'm different than I was a year ago. And, and, and I'm less angry with my kids. And she said, I was, I was reading the Word this, this week, and and, and I was reading this passage about when we, we reject Christ's work, it's like we're, reject, we're, like we're, we're re-crucifying the, the Son of God in our lives. And, and I didn't want to do that. It just touched my heart. And I, just, just, I never really realized that. I began to pray and ask him to change. But I just really want to grow. And I, that's what I'm talking about, right? Here, here, here's a believer that she's, she's still, she's, really, she's got a long ways to grow. And she's still got some anger problems with her kids. And she's, still, and she's, and she's very real about this. But, but something's happening. The, the Holy Spirit's creating a desire to be different. And he's giving her the power to change. And, and step by step, she's changing. And that's the church we should be. Like, like, we should not be the same church a year from now. We are now. We should be different people. And so, so are you growing? Is your love for people growing? Are you expanding uh, in your heart for, for the world? Are you using your gifts more? Are your priorities becoming more clear? And, and if not, here's my challenge. Please don't settle. Don't settle. 
Man, you were designed and created for this. You live in a supernatural zone. God lives in you. You started as a supernatural, like God lives in you. He's working, like, like don't settle. Don't settle for being a mediocre Christian. You were created for so much more. And if you're not growing like you want, then I just want to challenge you, just go before God and say, God, what is it? Remember what Jesus said, seek and you will find. So seek and ask and knock and say, God, I, I don't want to be the same person a year from now I am today. Your word says I'm in the new covenant. Your word says I should be knowing you, that I have power to change. Your spirit says, that's what your word says. This is covenant terminology. It's a covenant that you've made. So I know that you're not breaking your end. I must be breaking my end. What is it that's holding me back? Go before God, ask him, and then let him change your life. Let him change your life. So are you living a supernatural life? Number two, the second question I'd ask is, is Jesus your Lord? I think this is a fundamental question that we have to ask. Because the reality is, is that many of us came to Christ and the way the gospel was presented was half the message. What we got when we came to Christ is if you want a relationship with God, it's kind of God has a plan for your life and and if you want a relationship, he offers you forgiveness and a new relationship and this new power to change and you receive the gift. We got that message. We got that part of the covenant. The part that they failed to tell us was that coming into covenant happens when we bow the knee to Jesus and that he becomes our king. And so the result is, is that we've, we've come to Christ, but we've never really experienced the power of the covenant because at a very core level, we have never settled this issue of who we report to. And so what happens is we, we use God as sort of our divine protector and our cosmic consultant. God, would you provide for me? I need this, I need that. Would you protect me? Blah, blah, blah. And we come and say, I need advice on this issue. What should I do in this dating relationship? What should I do with my money? What should I do with my time? What should I do with this house? What the thing is? And so we ask God for advice and then once we ask, we decide whether we'll take it or not. That's not what you deal with a Lord. That's what you do with a consultant, right? A consultant, you ask for advice, you pay them for their advice, you say thank you very much, and you take what you like and you, you forget what you don't like, right? Many of us relate to Jesus as if he's cosmic consultant. He's not consultant, he's Lord. And Lord, with lords, you bow the knee. You say, yes, sir. You say, how high? When he says, jump, you ask how high on the way up. Like, he is Lord, right? Like, if he were here in our presence vis visibly right now, and he said, this is what you need to do, do you think any of us would be saying, oh, I don't think so? <laughs> when Jesus shows up in the Bible, people go face down, right? They go face down. They're laid out. And that's the appropriate response to a Lord. That when he says, this is what you need to do with your life, we say, yes, sir. On my way, sir. Right? And so for many of us, I really believe this. The reason we're not experiencing covenant reality is because we haven't submitted to covenant terms. We've never really decided this. You know, in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's going to explain this so clearly. He says, this is the deal. He died for you so that you would live for him. That's the deal. 
And many of us, we just never got that message. We thought he died for us so we could live for us. Really, really, isn't that true? He died for me so I could be happy. He died for me so I could live for me and be a better me. God's about me. No, he died for you that you might live for him. And can I tell you something? When that surrender happens at a core level, guess what? Covenant reality begins to break loose. New relationship with God, new power to change, right? New intimacy. God, it all, but it revolves around accepting terms of covenant. And so, so have you. You know, it's possible, it's possible to be so off track in this area that we actually think we have a relationship with Jesus and have entered into covenant when we haven't. You realize that? It, it's possible to think that we've entered into covenant when we haven't. In fact, there in your note sheet, Matthew 7, this is what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me what? Lord, Lord. Lord. Right, there's our language. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice when he returns, but only he who does the will of my Father. What's he saying? He says that when he comes back, there's going to be a lot of people in for a rude awakening, and a painful awakening. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, what? Like, do you know what that word means? Like, I was never your Lord. You, you never listened. You never followed. You did your own thing. Like, I'm not your Lord. And, and so you don't get to go into my kingdom. Why? Because you never submitted to me as your king. You see? And, and so he spells it out. But only he who does the will of my Father. Remember what Paul said? Prove your repentance by your deeds. And so, so for some of us, we may have to go way back to the very beginning and say, am I really saved at all? Have I, have I really entered into covenant? Because, because I never really got that message that Jesus was Lord, and I never really submitted to that part of the deal, so I've been trying to live out this Christian life, but with no power, because, because I've never really come to terms with who Jesus is. And so this incredible life he calls us to, supernatural life, but it all unpacks for us as we accept the reality of who Jesus is and what, what he means, what, what that means for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son who has come to install his kingdom. In fact, he taught us to pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that has to start with us. And, and so, God, we want to be kingdom people. We want to enter the kingdom based on the death and resurrection of Christ and, and by surrendering to that leadership, faith and repentance. And so we pray that as a church, God, we would step into covenant reality and that our love and passion for you and our compassion would grow because your power is being released in our life as we submit to your lordship. And God, as we come now and we, we reflect and we worship you as the Lord of Lords, we, we pray that this would be a time of deep uh, reflection and you're speaking into our lives right now. And if there's an area of our lives that we've been rebelling against your Lordship, we, we pray that you'd give us the desire and the power to submit to that. And God, we also bring you our offering as a sign that our finances are under your Lordship. 
that what we have and what we own belong to you, and you've told us to lay up treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. And so we are now doing that as an act of obedience to your lordship. We pray that you'd use these gifts to open the eyes and remove the veils of many people that together we might see your kingdom expand. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let salvation flow as your people pray, we long for more, amen? Amen, Amen. and so that's what we wanna be doing as a church. We want to seek him, this supernatural salvation that we've come into through Christ in the covenant with God, we want to see that salvation flow. We want to see it flow in our lives. I want to see it flow out of this place into lives in this community that others could come to know that Jesus is Lord, Lord. that Jesus is Lord, Lord, right? And, And so that's our prayer. And so may this week, may that be your experience as you seek him. And if if the reality is that you're not experiencing much supernatural or not the, the level that you want, that I would encourage you that you would go before him and say, God, I want salvation to flow and I'm, long, I'm longing for more. And then you would just lay out your life and ask him, what is there? Is there anything in my life, God, that is not, it's kind of getting in the way. Maybe it's something that I resisted you on. Maybe it's something I've said no to you on, but there's something that's stopping the flow of your salvation in my life. And so what is it? I want to come under your lordship. And so I'd encourage you this week to get alone with God. Uh, spend some time this afternoon or spend some time this week and just go before him and begin to say, Lord, I, I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. I want to remind you that after the service that we always have a ministry at the back called the prayer corner at the very far back. And uh, if you ever need prayer, they're always there, whether I mention it or not. And then I want to let you know next week, I'm excited uh, about this passage we're going into. Uh, next week, Paul is going to talk about hard times. Yes, we've come into covenant. Yes, we live supernatural lives. But in this life, God often allows hard times to come. And it's in those hard times that God kind of uses us and transforms us and uses us to change others. It's in the hard times that God often reveals his power most evidently in our lives. And what Paul is going to say is the secret of this life is learning to live this life with a clear focus on the next life. And so next week, the the message is called The Power of Perspective. And what Paul is going to say is that the hard times we go through here, if we had eyes to see that they're light and momentary uh, compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming. And so we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are uh, unseen are, 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 are permanent, forever. And so it's a, it's a powerful message about as covenant people, how do we live this life for the next life? And so it's gonna be a great time as we come together. Until then, may the Lord of creation be with you. May, may the Lord who is the Spirit uh, be with you. May he be living in your life, taking away the veil a little bit more, exposing you to who Jesus is so that as you see his glory, you'll be transformed to be like him, that you'll be living in reality of covenant. You'll be experiencing the depth of his grace and forgiveness. You'll be experiencing a a new level of intimacy of knowledge. You'll be experiencing power being released 
all being directed by the power of his spirit as you surrender to the lordship of Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.